0: Super Talk Mississippi Media Production. Come see your locally owned and operated Linton Glass for all your glass needs. No matter what glass you need to replace, you can count on Linton Glass. Call us today at 601-835-4336 or find us on the web at LintonGlass.com.
1: Howdy, howdy, it's Rhino here, and I wanted to say thank you for listening to Middays with Gerard Gibbert here on Super Talk Mississippi.
0: Get ready, get ready.
2: Everyone, and welcome to Midday Super Talk, Mississippi. I'm your host, Gerard Gibbert, along with Rhino in the Element Wealth Studio, guiding you through the middle of your day with facts, fodder, and fine music on this hump day. Yes, it is. The old hump day is upon us. It's a bit cloudy here in central Mississippi, a bit humid, a little muggy. Uh, Yeah. Another chance of showers, I believe, later on today. And tomorrow, we're headed up to the Palmer Home. Palmer Home for Children Radiothon. We're happy to say that we will air the 11th annual Palmer Home for Children Radiothon on Super Top Mississippi. That's tomorrow, Thursday, July the 13th. Every year, there are children across Mississippi that need a loving home. And many times, these children are caught in unimaginable circumstances. And that's why we need your help. You'll learn how Palmer Home for Children serves vulnerable children. It's a faith-based organization that doesn't take government money. So we definitely need your help. What are our hours tomorrow? Please share that with the audience, Rhino.
1: We're going to be on the air from 6 a.m. till 6 p.m. And if y'all are still going strong with the donations for the children at Palmer Home at 6 p.m.,
2: we might just push it even further. (laughs) Thus the Radiothon description of tomorrow. We're looking forward to that being up there. In the meantime, stuff uh, heating up around the Magnolia State in elections, the primary, less than a month away, Republican primary. And then, of course, the general election will be upon us in November. Today on the program, on Middays, Hank Burdine, of course, board member with the Mississippi Levy Commission, he'll give us an update on the Yazoo backwater. There's been some... Breaking news there. And then at 12.05, it's Brian Haydad, co-host Sports Talk Mississippi and Thunder and Lightning, and Robbie Falk, also co-host of Thunder and Lightning, the podcast, the enormously successful podcast. They're going to talk about the catfish tour across to Magnolia State. We got some business news this morning, economic news. The CPI report came in. It was a bit benign, as they say. It shows that inflation eased down to 3% in the month of June. That would be the headline inflation. And so that is down somewhat. They were expecting 3.1%. So an improvement relative to expectations, and that's got the markets moving upward. All three indexes in the green today. The Labor Department said that the 3% reading, of course, is considerably lower than the recent peak of 9.1. That was just a short year ago, June 2022, and down from the 4%. Figure in May. This is the lowest it has been. Inflation, the core uh, inflation—I I should say this—the um, consumer price index reading of inflation. The since 2021, March of 2021. This is still, however, above the Fed's two percent target. In most economists and investors are still expecting that the Fed is going to raise interest rates at their meeting coming up in a couple of weeks, July 25th, 26th. This, by the way, if, if they do increase at all, even a measly quarter of a point, that would put the benchmark rate at a 22-year high. So even though the report came in Better than expected, showing that inflation is moderated somewhat, still the expectation is the Fed ain't going to give up until it gets down to that 2% inflation figure that they pursue, that is their target. I mean, it really
1: doesn't matter what number they come out with, The, the real talk is since 2020, a dollar in 2020 is now worth 85 cents in 2023."
2: That is absolutely true. And this is the problem I have with the President and, uh, of course, his White House press secretary is who you hear from more than you do him on this matter. He, she speaks more regularly, more frequently. And she comes out and just totally is gushing about the inflation reading. As are other members of Congress that see fit to also celebrate and uh, take victory laps. Hakeem Jeffries, you know who he is. He comes out and makes a big old deal about it. Did he do it to the ABCs? Or Mary Had a Little Lamb, maybe? (laughs) about Twinkle, Twinkle Little Star? (laughs) I forgot about that. Oh, that was so crazy. Uh, Yeah, he comes out, and he's taking the victory laps, of course, about the inflation reading. And it's just so disingenuous because he's, he's boasting about how they've cut the rate in half. But, dude, it's because of you we even had it to start with. So all you really did is make amends slightly for your own mismanagement. That's all you did. It's not as if, well, yeah, you really got out there and 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 um I guess accomplished something. All you really did was accomplish undoing what you screwed up.
1: It's like driving a car under the trailer of a big rig
2: and ripping the top off of it and going, Oh
1: look, a convertible.
2: <laughs> That's all like that analogy. But See if I can find what Mr. Jeffrey said, but it's always just this empty rhetoric stuff where he just takes uh, great um, credit and satisfaction, is the way to say it, in the accomplishments of... Democrats and the President. He says, inflation is down for the 12th consecutive month. It is the lowest level in two years. We promise to lower costs for everyday Americans. President Biden is delivering. But to your point, you're not comparing, Mr. Jeffries, the cost of living today to that before Joe Biden took office. That is the accurate, valid comparison not, well, we got in there and dropped money after heli- uh, out of helicopters across uh, the fruited plain. We saw inflation go through the roof. We told you it was transitory. We screwed everything up. And now we're seeing it come back down. I mean, that's, that's the truth. The truth is not that you've somehow lowered the cost of living relative to what it was before Joe Biden got in office. That is the accurate Analysis. Because if you haven't gotten a raise
1: since Joe Biden took office, in fact, you've taken a fifteen percent pay
2: cut. Real wages is to, to your point is how that is defined. That's the net of your income after inflation is applied to what you buy. So. You may have even gotten a wage, and they're bragging about that. Wages are up 4.4%. Yeah, but the cost of what I buy is up dramatically more than that. I'm actually in the red here. I've not benefited. Let's see, which number is bigger, 4.4 or 15? 4.4 uh, or 15? It's so disingenuous. And the same is, is the bottomless Pinocchio, the Washington Post, is assigned to Mr. Biden's constant refrain, I cut the deficit by one. It's <laughs> so sickening. And I looked yesterday by the way at the latest treasury report. We've hit the 1.5 trillion mark for the year with one quarter left of deficit spending, one quarter left. So if you extrapolated that and said, "Okay, we're at the 1.5 mark, if the trend continues, if you annualize that figure, you're looking at 1.8, 1.9 trillion. And it's yet to be seen, because you can't always accurately predict revenues. You can somewhat spending. What you can't predict on the spending side that nobody wants to talk about is Social Security and Medicare. Social Security and Medicare. You can't predict what kind of costs are going to be borne by those programs for the next... You, You can somewhat estimate it. But, by the way... Latest reports show the deficit being largely driven by Social Security and Medicare. They're up significantly over the, the expenses in those programs, over what was uh, budgeted, what was projected. So the point is, while the president is running around bragging about cutting the deficit by $1.7 trillion, he right now is in the throes, three-quarters through a year, where the deficit is going to increase by about $400 billion over last year. What kind of crazy, creepy whisper are we going to get on that one? We're coming right back with more in the Element Well Studio.
0: Gerard Gibbert. He keeps his classified documents right where they belong. Inside a Jarney record jacket from the 1980s, Gerard Gibbert, Super Talk Mississippi.
2: Leonard bumping us into this segment here on Middays. Hank Burdine with the Mississippi Levee Commission on the program at 11.05. Brian Haydad and Robbie Falk, co-hosts of uh, Thunder and Lightning. And, uh, of course, Brian co-hosts Sports Talk Mississippi. Wildly popular program here on Super Talk Mississippi. It's coming on at 12.05 to talk about the Catfish Tour, their Catfish Tour across Mississippi and so somebody asked about the CPI just at the very high level folks how that's calculated you, you the Bureau of Labor Statistics, which produces the calculation, takes a basket what's called a basket of goods at a point in time and then uh, and the pricing for those and then the same basket of goods, pricing for those at another point in time, usually a year usually a year right. So, uh, and even when you, when you look at the difference between a month and a month, that's annualized as well. So, it's, it's just the difference between those prices uh, divided by the starting price, the older price. So, price today minus price a year ago divided by the price a year ago, that times 100 yields the percentage of the Consumer Price Index. Essentially, it's just the increase of those basket of goods on average price over a year, annualized. Um, that's what uh, the CPI is. So, And because
1: it got so out of whack and got up around 8% year over year, that's how, in the short time frame since 2020, You've lost fifteen percent of your valuation of the dollar.
2: That's right, and that's a different figure than just what how the CPI is calculated. The 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 dollar's buying power and the erosion of it expressed as a percentage, as you did, is a different calculation. They're related than the CPI itself, and that's that was a question we had. By the way, there's headline CPI, and that includes two major categories that we all have to buy, and that's food and energy. Those are considered highly volatile, meaning they go up and down. And so, while they're included in the headline calculation, they are excluded from what's called core inflation. It's thought by economists that that's a more meaningful indicator of the trend of pricing because when you exclude them out of the calculation, you're dealing with things that are more consistent, more stable. Automobiles is an example. Housing is an example. Uh, although, if you look at... So, by the way, core inflation, it rose 4.8%. So when you take food and energy out, which have come down, that's why we got 3% of headline. You take those out, the figure is 4.8%, and that's because we exclude food and energy, which have trickle down. Oh, I see what I did there. Which food and energy are less
1: flexible. They can be volatile, but eventually if a pound of sugar costs too much, people quit buying sugar.
2: Yeah. It's true. They they definitely changed their uh, their consumption habits. We talked about the Big Mac Index the other day and the underwear index, the men's the MUI, the men's underwear index. So, it it's um it's a benign reading, that's the point. I still submit that while Hakeem Jeffries, Joe Biden, I'm sure we're going to get this uh, the praise heaped on the president today by Karine Jean-Pierre, who will likely conduct a White House press briefing, and she'll brag about how the president's working for the American people, pulling inflation down, but... He, she won't mention, just as you have described, that it's still more than it was before he took office. It costs more, my wages aren't keeping up, I'm worse off. And by the way there, Karine Jean-Pierre, have have you checked with any Americans who are scared to check on and, and view the values of their 401k and their retirement accounts? A lot of people just say, oh, I'm just not going to worry about it. Because they know how volatile it is, and they know for the most part they have lost value since the president took office. Uh, so you got that dynamic going on as well. And rec- We still don't know who had the booger sugar in the White House. Still don't. That's right. I don't know why they seem to be just skirting that issue. Because
1: she- if it comes to be hunters, he's going to jail for gun charges.
2: Yeah, it's so true. And she got indignant when asked by a reporter, would this be law to a member of the Biden family? Irresponsible question. No, quite the responsible question. It's uh, it to you've me you've got a quote unquote recovering addict that is in and out all the time, by your own admission, an addict, right? And it's reprehensible in my view that we have this illegal substance in the White House. That's just incredible, surreal almost, and and they just uh, dismiss it, honestly. But I'm sure she's going to, uh, again, uh, really boast about this inflation reading today and how great Joe is, and the Bidenomics policies are working. So the other piece she won't mention is that credit card debt is through the roof. It, um, it We're also seeing more people use their credit card to buy things like groceries. And that is indicative of tight... Household finances, so more people are turning to credit. You know what else is up, Rhino? The withdrawals from 401K plans. And you could have a penalty situation there, and people are saying, I don't care. I need this cash. For certain
1: There's a 50% f- increase in housing evictions.
2: Seen that as well. So I, I'm certainly glad, I'm not going to deny it, that we're seeing inflation moderate But we didn't need to have it to start with. And this president and the administration refused to accept any responsibility for it. Now, I know there are folks out there, I would be one of them, that questions the wisdom of the massive COVID relief spending in Donald Trump's final year. I get it. But I also submit that, hey, we just stopped there. And when Joe Biden got elected, if he just didn't insist on passing the the uh, $2.1 trillion um, CARES Act, he just had to do that. Not the CARES Act, the uh, American Rescue Plan, pardon me, the CARES Act was the Trump era. He just had to do that $1.9 trillion. To put his mark on it. I don't think he could live with himself if, hey, look, this economy's recovering and it's doing okay. People are going back to work. They're making money. We're seeing the supply chain constraints start to ease. Wow, and I didn't do anything. i got to do something so I get credit for it. And that, Think about it. You think about the messaging coming from the White House today, this president, this president, this president, and it's because if he didn't do anything, just left it the hell alone. It would have peaked about right.
1: where it is right now that's instead exactly of being right. on
2: the way down where we are right now. It, it truly would have been transitory. But no, you had to literally douse the fire with gasoline. And that's exactly what the $1.9 trillion American Rescue Plan did. And that was totally unnecessary. But, again, had to do something to take credit. Look what I did for you. drop more money out of helicopters. And now he's (laughs) taking credit for
1: not spending that much money when he shouldn't have spent it in the first place. Exactly.
2: Yeah, so Gary points out, and that's what we're saying, Gary. What did basic items cost in 2020 versus what they cost today? Home, mortgage, gas, automobiles, dog food. Big difference. Totally agree. In um, 2020 may be um, a bit of an outlier for comparison, just simply because it was the COVID era where the economy was largely shut down by government. I think you'd have to go back, to be fair, to 19. What I can share with you that I think is important is that spending, government spending, since 2019, it's just four years later, 50% increase. Fifty percent. It was $4.5 trillion, 4.2 in twenty nineteen. It's six point three now. We've we've increased spending by two trillion dollars now, mind you. A great deal of that, in fact, most of it, is Social Security, Medicare, because those costs continue to rise, and they are driving the deficits and nobody wants to talk about it, both sides say off limits, okay, well then the deficits are going to continue to increase. So, I did a little math when Joe Biden brags about, I got the deficit, $1.7 trillion. So if you look at his first three years in office, where I think we're going to land from a deficit in fiscal year 2023, 2023, his average deficits produced annually 2 trillion dollars. Unprecedented. Unprecedented. Before the COVID era, though it's nothing to sneeze at, the Trump deficits were $900 Just under a trillion. We're talking about double that on average under Joe Biden. But they won't share these detailed facts with you. We're coming right back in the Element Well studio. Stay with us.
0: the stories that matter most to mississippians gerard gibbert middays with gerard super talk mississippi
3: diablo motors had a hell of a sale downtown yesterday work got around no money downtown Got there, the lot was bare But the salesman said, hold on For a little cash I got a two-tone nash Out behind my barn If the devil danced In empty pockets, he'd have A ball in mind With a nine-foot grand the ten-piece band in a 12-for-0 For a slide We are
1: mid-day.
2: back in the Element Well Studio. It is Middays. We thank you so much for joining us. The C Spark Text Line six zero one eight seven nine four three nine five. So something else I wanted to point out, folks, that I think is important that Karine Jean Pierre said at the podium there in the White House a couple of weeks ago. Questions about inflation. She took no responsibility for it as far as the Biden administration and his policies our concern in fact she said that it had nothing to do with his six trillion dollar spending spree again you got to go back to this American rescue plan and then add on to that the chipsack the bloated omnibus bill the uh, what was the other one uh, right the infrastructure bill 1.2 trillion those were Honestly, measures, at least the, the, uh, uh, the latter two, things we can't afford. The omnibus bill was just the budget for the discretionary portion of spending, which federal spending comes in at about 30% of total. It's the mandatory that the Congress never touches. 70%. On autopilot. Don't do anything to it. That's Social Security, Medicare, Medicaid, a host of other federal assistance programs that are established by law. And then, of course, debt interest. And so bottom line is we have a $6.3 trillion budget, and it was just 4.3 four years ago, up almost 50%. Corrine John pierre says it's high profit margins. That's what's causing inflation. So why is it to the left? that profit is so evil. Why don't they get the necessity of profit? And it is profit that has produced the unbelievable quality of life we enjoy in this country and in other pockets of the world where they allow companies to make a profit. So I'll start with this one. This is a simple one. Who out there doesn't have a cell phone, a smartphone? Why are you willing to part with your money for that? Because you get value out of it. Well, guess what? It's so popular by consumers and consumers' opinions, so valuable that they're willing to put down their hard earned money in exchange for one of these devices. And that has produced the world's most valuable company, Apple, at three trillion dollars. Who, by the way, at any point in time, has more cash on their balance sheet than does the US Treasury. But the ability of a company to just turn a profit, that is the engine of growth, of innovation, of job creation, of the manifestation of human ingenuity, I was looking uh, yesterday after the show, uh, Rhino, we've talked about this many times before, but, but looking again at CO2 reductions by country between 2010 and 2020. It's fascinating. The USA, if you look at it in terms of millions of tons of CO2, this country, over that 10-year period, Reduced 1,200 million tons. So, then just below us, in second place, is the U.K. at about 300. And then you can put all the other Western nations, Germany, Italy, France, Mexico, Spain. All of theirs combined don't add up to the U.S. Not surprising, honestly. Guess what has been the biggest driver of that reduction? Profit. Innovation. Why don't they get that? (laughs) That's unbelievable. So what do they want? Zero? Honestly, I fear asking that question to leftists. You really do want zero. So... I know our friend Thomas in Greenwood always likes to text us in about socialism and his concerns about our country drifting towards that. I share his concerns there. It's usually in the context of, of health care and specifically Medicaid. And I differ with him somewhat on that. But I, I think I've played the sound clip before from the, I believe it was the 2012 Democratic National Convention. Peter Schiff, investigative reporter journalist not known honestly you know you would not know who he is he just looks like a guy with a mic asking questions and there's delegates there attendees to the democrat national convention and he asked this hypothetical question what do you think about ending profit oh yeah I'm all for that that was eleven years ago and I've always thought that that really does reveal the true sentiments the true aspirations of Democrats in this country. These are at a Democrat National Convention. I'm all for it. In profits. Can't have any of that anymore. You idiot. Do you work? Do you have a job? Do you have income? I think you do. You look like you're well-kept enough to have some form of income. You're not a destitute on the street panhandling. Well, what do you think produced that? Corporate losses? It's just Unbelievable. So you know, the great economist Walter Williams from George Mason University, in teaching his Econ 100 course, he used to explain to his students, you know, the farmers that, let's say, raise cattle, and they work their rears off doing that, some 14 hours a day. Farming is a deal where, you know, what's the old adage, rhino, you've got to make hay while the sun's shining, you've got to take advantage of of the windows of opportunity from a weather perspective and uh, rain, climate, uh, when you can apply pesticides and fertilizers and all that sort of stuff. I mean, it's, it's a bit over my head, but in general, I know that they're constantly battling these short windows that they've got to get things done, and often that necessitates extremely long hours in the fields, what have you. Well, they don't do that so they can put $75 filet mignons on the plates of Wall Street execs. I guarantee you. No, they do it for a profit. That's what they don't get. They don't care about that. They raise these cattle and they send these steaks to feed people in Manhattan because they want a profit. Because they can't survive without it. And guess what? Without that, people in New York would go hungry. They'd be standing in the soup lines because the farmers wouldn't be able to survive without the profit. Now, you can apply that same analysis to every industry. Despite what Al Gore says, he really didn't invent the internet. You know who did? Profit seekers. Now, there are those that will argue well, you know, that was invented by the federal government, by the old uh, ARPA, I think it was called back then. Maybe it was DARPA, pardon me. And it's true that there was some research going on to develop a way, honestly, the original, the original premise of this computer-to-computer communications. It was to, to enable our military to communicate and survive a domestic attack. That's what it had more to do with than anything. You know, our interstate system that came about commissioned in the 50s, same deal. That was originally the thought process was we're going to design our interstate system to allow military assets to, to travel. That was a big part of the interstate design. But nonetheless, the point is, it's profiteers who leveraged the TCPIP protocol to turn the Internet into a gigantic, massive engine of profit. That's the point. And that just seems to be lost. Uh, Even Bono of U2. You know, he's a philanthropist. Remember, it wasn't so long ago he came out and said, geez, I'm giving all this money out, tens of millions of dollars, to these what appear to be worthy causes, but I've come to the conclusion that charity's never going to solve the poverty problem. It can be certainly a part of it to help those who struggle helping themselves for various reasons, but nothing compares to the way free enterprise and capitalism has ended poverty and lifted people up from the roles of extreme pro- poverty and beyond. That's what profit does. It's the most noble pursuit of humans. Coming right back with more here in the Element Well Studio, we please stay with us.
0: Days with Gerard. Good for America. Good for fans of justice and truth. Good for us. The Super Talk Mississippi. This is what we stand for.
2: We are back in the Element Well Studio. Gene in Mendenhall says, All that free money going to Ukraine for their pensions and free iPhones for illegals cost money. It's peanuts, honestly, though, Gene, compared to other frivolous expenses in government, like 500 billion, billion, 500 billion, half a trillion of fraudulent unemployment claims that the government paid out. State level, too. $500 billion. $20 billion of improper tax credits the IRS admits annually. Can't catch it. Don't have the systems to do it, don't have the people, I don't think have the will, if you want to know the truth, to really address that, rein, rein it in, stop it, put an end to it. It's ridiculous. Thomas in Greenwood says, yeah, those cell phones are so essential that they are free for people on welfare, right? Yeah, so a little history about that. Not sure if most people are aware, but the programs that provide free telephone service, those were Ronald Reagan's ideas. Ronald Reagan, who most people would again hold as their favorite president. Thomas doesn't like him, now. I know Thomas doesn't. But we have certainly people in Mississippi that, of course, supported Reagan, think highly of him. I'm one of them, and we have many that somewhat refer to him as being inspirational to them for entering the world of politics, and they'll often quote and cite Mr. Reagan's uh, famous statements, but it was the 1980s, 1984, the Lifeline and the Link-Up program, the Lifeline program was that which covered the cost of local phone service for those that met the income eligibility test, low-income people, and then the Link-Up program. You remember back in the days, you'd have to pay an installation fee to connect to the telephone system, the public telephone system. And uh, the phone company would charge you that, uh, charge those one-time fees. And that's what that program covered. So you had one program that covered the installation and one program that covered the local monthly service. And the purpose of that primarily was to allow people to have access to the 911 emergency services system, which wasn't that old at the time. It was Barack Obama that converted that program to cell phones, because that's actually less expensive than the old landline program enacted and signed into law by Ronald Reagan, and uh, taking advantage of the wireless world, of course. So 1984 was uh, link up, and then uh, 95 they the FCC reestablished a Lifeline program to further reduce household phone bills. But those programs are rooted in the Reagan era; they just got converted to cell phones because it's less expensive. Because most people honestly don't have that now. There's always a question about how effective that is from a 911 perspective. And so that's, that's in play as well. He says, yeah, he talked conservative, but he was more of a socialist than FDR, much like Trump. I wouldn't exactly call Ronald Reagan a socialist like FDR, nor would I describe Mr. Trump. In that vein as well, I think that's a bit of a stretch there. Thomas. Thomas. Uh, C.C. in Sanatobia says, "Karine Jean-Pierre, quote, Cocaine in the White House might not be great, but it's asking me questions about it that's incredibly irresponsible. Yeah, it is what she, how she described that question, right? Irresponsible.
1: After claiming she'd been clear on it and she was about as clear as mud. Then again, she's not very clear on any of her answers. Yeah. Even though she's reading from a giant binder of prepared <laughs> remarks.
2: That's true. Something else I wanted to pass on is that uh, Health Corporation of America, HCA, that's one of the largest companies in the the U.S. that is in the business of providing health care, mainly operates hospitals, have a big presence in the state of Florida. They just recently experienced a major hack, data breach. 11, 27 million rows of database information, a row is just an entry in an electronic database, expected to, uh, it's thought to apply to 11 million patients at dozens of facilities in Florida and in Texas, and so what's going on here is that this personal patient information which has been obtained by the hackers is going to start uh... be released being released on the internet private patient records charts healthcare information we're stepping aside for fox news and super talk news hank burdine is up next
0: and now, and now another hour of the talk that keeps mississippi talking Middays with Gerard Gibbert.
1: Begin your transition now.
0: Now on Super Talk Mississippi.
2: Welcome back, everyone. Hour two of Middays, live from the Element Wealth Studio on this hump day. Joining us now, Hank Burdine, board member with the Mississippi Levy Commission. Good morning, Hank. Thanks for coming on.
3: Good morning, man. It's a beautiful day up in the Delta, and we got good news to talk about, the South Delta and the backwater flooding.
2: Yes, sir. Just reading the uh, Mississippi Levy Commissioner's Press release announcing that the U.S. Army Corps of Engineers has announced at least a notice of intent to prepare an environmental impact statement for this backwater waste management project. I would say that's kind of step one there, is it not, Hank, to start mobilizing the resources?
3: Really more than step one. After the uh, current administration vetoed the prior administration's plan, They realized we do have a problem, and they put together a Committee on Environmental Quality, which put the EPA in with the Corps, in with the U.S. Fish and Wildlife, and with several other agencies involved, and commanded them to sit down, come up with a timeline, come up with a program to take care of this problem. And after several meetings, public meetings, public hearings, all the input, all of these groups got together and came up with a plan that is by far one of the best plans we have ever had, and can see coming to fruition through this environmental impact statement. Pretty soon, we're going to get some relief. So, how
2: does that work, Hank? Who who actually uh, performs the environmental impact analysis? Is there one that's required as part of this statement? I'm just reading the press release it, here. Is there? Is there
3: always is. In a program like this, okay, so who all of these agencies together and uh, working together came up with the plan to make this thing work. Okay, and we get into the details of it. They looked at non-structural items. They looked at raising houses. They looked at raising roads, building ring levees, but also with a structural component, which is the pumps which is a larger pump than they had originally anticipated because of the environmental concerns. But that larger pump will allow the water to be maintained at a certain elevation where it keeps all the houses out of water, all the roads out of water. you will still have several hundred thousand acres of trees underwater and some crop lands. But it is a great plan and a good plan going forward.
2: Okay. And so, uh, Hank, these pumps, once they're installed, will they be on public land, private land, or will there be any part of the system where they'll have to get part of the,
3: some part sort of the steel bio system? Okay. Where the steel bio gates are. These pumps are going up to 25,000 cubic feet per second pump. That's a lot of water. Yeah. But we got to understand the Mississippi River. No pumps at home is flowing at almost 2,500,000 cubic feet per second. Wow. So the water that'll be going into the river is less than 1%. And by the time that that water gets to the river around Vicksburg, it's totally dissipated. You will not see less than an inch rise if you see that.
2: Okay. So once installed, are there any? Uh, present areas that will see the water recede that will be drained as part of this?
3: Well, yeah. A couple of hundred thousand acres okay. of land and environmentally sensitive woodlands. It's a great program, and uh, it's a good program for everything involved. Environmental justice, the habitat, the trees, the farmers. It's where we need to be.
2: Okay,
3: These pumps will kick on During the year At different times When it's non-crop season It'll kick on higher Leaving more water out there But during the growing season It kicks on at a lower elevation To allow us to get in And get our crops in
2: And those who objected to this project Hank, as I recall Most did uh, Have some concerns Based on uh, just environmental impact, it, has that now been, uh, I guess, kind of resolved? That's Neil. Okay.
3: The, the people that are against it are the environmental national groups that any time you say pumps, before you get pee out of your mouth, they say no. <laughs> they showed up at these public hearings, yeah. yet they refused to speak during a public hearing, to ask a question, to make a concern to make a statement of the van, at the end, publicly said somewhere, well, it's just a, it's not even a flood control project. Okay. It's just something for the rich farmers, which is total, well, I'm, I won't say what that is.
2: <laughs> so, uh, it just seems like every time there's any, any discussion anywhere in this country about such projects, the environmentalists get involved, and there's always lots of doom and go- gloom, uh, that they'll attach to these projects and, and really just all sorts of projections that seem to be hyperbole more than they are substantiated in fact.
3: That is correct. You know, we got got uh, Senator Cindy Hyde-Smith is a war horse for this project. Roger Wicker, fully behind
2: mm-hmm.
3: it. Uh, Congressman Thompson will be behind it. I'm sure he is behind it. And uh, there, there's another aspect of it. In the upper areas of the Delta, during the spring or summertime, when everything dries up, talking about putting in a series of well up there, yep. that'll put water under the levee from the Mississippi River, alluvial aquifer to keep water in the upper streams, which is great for the aquatics and, and, and the habitat up there. The punks themselves down at Steel Bow. The bow gates will be adjusted to hold more water in during low water times. So this is a wonderful program, and we're really looking forward to going to the uh, EIS on this thing.
2: Yeah, it seems like we've been talking about this for a long time, but but now it's finally starting to materialize. So what what would be the positive impacts, Hank, that we? could expect certainly the people who live in the area who work the land farmers etc what's the overall positive impact
3: during backwater times when the water cannot get out of the delta these pumps will relieve that problem it'll take pressure off of a horrendous environmental devastation that goes down there when you had 600,000 acres underwater yeah killing every animal down there, flooding out two, three hundred thousand acres of farmland, cropland, and the environment itself. So we are really happy and really pleased to be going where we're going.
2: Okay. Well, I I know you have uh, worked diligently on this as have all the members of the levy board. I know you've been in regular contact with our Washington delegation, especially our two senators. It just seems like that we finally got something going here that should have been in the works some time ago, but I'm, I'm certainly happy about that. Do you, ex- you expect...
3: I'm going to say it's good that it took this long to do it. we got a better project.
2: Okay. That makes sense. That, that makes sense. So what about uh, folks that uh, maybe are, are looking to uh, establish residence on this land? Does that make this available for that purpose now?
3: Come on! Okay. It allows us not only residences; it allows us business. Okay. It allows our economy to grow. Yeah. It allows us to build stuff now that we couldn't build before.
2: Okay. And and do you feel like that the levy board or, or other officials will be able to con- convey to folks that might be a little reluctant that it's truly safe that we have a system that will protect these uh, these lands from being flooded?
3: Absolutely. It is a system that was promised to us. Eighty something years ago. Wow! And we're finally gonna get it
2: now. Okay. Well, it sounds like we're off to the races. I mean, hopefully, this will be an economic shot in the arm to the Delta, which so desperately needs it. it
3: will? I had, there's no doubt in my mind, and I'm ready to start busting dirt and pouring concrete.
2: <laughs> that is awesome. So, have you have you heard from any of uh, the inhabitants of the area since this announcement, Hank? What is their response?
3: Oh, as happy as they can be, the announcement that came out is the most detailed, informative statement. And in all my years of dealing with this, I read. Wow. They did their homework, they got together, they put together a good program, and we're extremely excited about it.
2: Well, that's awesome. We appreciate you coming on, and congratulations, and thank you, sir, for your efforts and uh, those of all the others involved in this project. Glad to see it come to fruition, and I'm sure we'll be talking to you some more about an update on it. Thank you, Hank.
3: Come on, I'm ready. Y'all have a good one.
2: You, You too, sir. We're coming right back in the Element Well Studio.
0: Talk that keeps Mississippi talking. We're rolling. Hit it. Go. Play it. Middays with Gerard Gibbert on Super Talk Mississippi.
2: We're back in the Element Well studio. Brian Haydad, Robbie Falk with Thunder and Lightning Podcast are going to be on at 12.05 talking about the Catfish Tour across the great state of Mississippi. Tomorrow we're at the Palmer Home in North Mississippi. And then in a couple of weeks from today, Neshoba County Fair. And oh, what an event it promises to be. (laughs)
1: With all the red dust you could want.
2: Yep. And the candidates taking their place in the pavilion and telling the good people of Mississippi how they're going to put a chicken in every pot, right? (laughs) Oh, man, it should be interesting. Uh, Seriously. And then, gosh, inside a month, it's hard to believe, to the primaries here, in the Magnolia State, again, keeping an eye on several races uh, in the legislature, but in particular, it's that one uh, at the top, the lieutenant governor's race, which is shaping up to be likely the most contentious, and may may get the most spending as well at the end of the day. We just talked about the financial reports the candidates just Submitted to, furnished to the Secretary of State in accordance with law, and I believe uh, what we think that what we say, McDaniel had six hundred thousand, I believe, and Delbert Hoseman three point five million, roughly in that range, and you're likely to see the airwaves of all forms of media feature political advertising. I would think, as we draw closer to Election Day. And I look forward to interviewing the candidates as well. We've already had one candidate for lieutenant governor on the program. That was last week. And then yesterday we had a gubernatorial candidate, Mr. Hardegree, join middays. We'll be talking, of course, to Dr. John Witcher, Also, a Republican candidate for governor, of course, the governor, Tate Reeves, running for re-election. That one is going to really get heated up between the primary and the general election, as he will be challenged by Democrat candidate public service commissioner currently for the Northern District, Brandon Presley, who released his plan for health care. We discussed that yesterday on the program. It's pretty straightforward. Expand Medicaid. And I felt like he took a bit of a shot at Drew Snyder, who runs the Medicaid program. He said that we need a health care professional running the agency and not a, quote, political hack, I believe, is what he said, how he labeled Mr. Snyder. I actually disagree with that, and here's why. I'm certainly not saying that physicians, healthcare care professionals, aren't qualified to run the agency. But the issues we have with health care in the state of Mississippi certainly cannot be laid at the feet of the director, executive director of the Division of Medicaid, in my view. And here's why. The Medicaid program was established by law in highly regulated federal And state, because it is a matching federal and state program. The states administer and run the program, but within federal law, guidelines. It is um, extremely complicated. The Medicaid rules are extremely complicated. We have over 800,000 Mississippians on Medicaid. Half of those are children that qualify, living in households where typically their parents do not, or their caretakers do not. And then it's the blind, the disabled, and the impoverished elderly. What did uh, Mr. Robert Reich say on the clip we played yesterday? That was a speech at the University of California in Berkeley in 2007, where he was addressing students, an auditorium full of students, and he sort of went through a, a kind of an act where he pretended to be a candidate for president, said, this is what a truthful candidate would say. If you're a young, healthy person, you got to buy insurance. And if you're an old person and you're within a few months of life, the end of your life, and it's going to cost a whole lot of money just to extend your life a little bit, I'm sorry, you got to die. That was 2007. And then we had a clip from Ron Paul, libertarian champion, you should we could say, member of Congress, son, of course, member of the Senate, represents the great state of Kentucky, Ron Paul, during the presidential debate of 2011, 2012 was the election, but 2011 debate, Republican debate, he was asked by CNN commentator Wolf Blitzer, how should we handle the situation where a young person without insurance ends up in the emergency room has experienced some sort of health catastrophe doesn't have any insurance and no money to pay for treatment or care how should we handle them and he really didn't answer the question directly I didn't feel like he basically said paraphrasing a little bit that we got to get government out of healthcare and we got to pursue free market solutions. And, you know, in the old days when I was practicing in the 60s, which is completely irrelevant to what healthcare is like in 2023, the faith communities, churches, et cetera, would come in. Man, if Mr. Paul's got a solution to make that work, I'm all for it. If it means that we could just take, remove government out of health care, so for example in the Medicaid program, which is just pure welfare, that's just government money from both the federal and state, going to those who qualify under under the various coverage groups. If we could just say, look, government, taxpayers, you don't have to foot that bill, we're going to send that to the churches. In Mississippi, that essentially means we'd send a $7 billion bill. That's at Medicaid reimbursement rates which are the lowest of the traditional categories of insurance. We're just going to dump that on the churches. And I guess my question would be, I would have asked Mr. Paul, why doesn't your church run down to the local hospital and say, just give me the list of all the people who can't pay here, we got it. Where do we send those bills so that government can be removed from that process? I certainly support that. Seven billion. There are a lot of churches, as you know, in Mississippi, they have a hard time making ends meet. Some that are positioned and located in the affluent areas where they have an affluent congregation or parish, they're better off than the poor ones. But there are a lot of them that can't make ends meet. They're pretty good about hitting you up for money because they need it. I mean, they rely on... Private contributions.
1: So, Which, talking about dollars and cents, if you go back to the 1960s, the per capita cost for health care for a year. You want to take a guess? No. What? $147 <laughs> in 1960 would cover your health care for a
2: year. Because there's nothing to buy. That's the point. Of why I believe that healthcare in the 60s versus healthcare 60 years later is night and day. Hell, that's the truth five years ago.
1: You think the about average salary for a doctor in 1960
2: $7,586. So it's all relative for sure. But think about this think about all the specialty practices that exist today that didn't exist back then because we didn't have the technology, the treatment, the therapies, the procedures. They've been invented since then. They didn't exist. I'll give you an example. I think I looked this up before. The colonoscopy procedure, which is a a preventative measure, that came about 60s, 70s, but it's certainly not as widespread as it is today. It's not as practiced the way it is today. We don't have these giant... GI clinics like we do across the country. I'm just using that as an example. There are numerous others. You think about the advances in orthopedics. Unbelievable. And that's given rise to these specialty ambulatory clinics and facilities that have these armies of physicians, and that's all they do, all kinds of orthopedics. It's wonderful. It's great. I'm not being negative about it. I'm just pointing out that that's the kind of care that didn't exist back then. So you couldn't buy it. Even if you wanted to. It wasn't for sale. So, no, Thomas, when the government money is no longer involved, the prices will fall dramatically. I'm forgetting the government out of health care somewhat. I totally agree with you. But to suggest that the prices will fall dramatically, that's total horse hockey. That is absolutely untrue. What would happen, I believe, is that we'd see more innovation, which would lead to more development of more treatments and procedures and therapies, drugs, I do believe that. That does cost money, but the hope is that would bring the cost of other sorts of care down. You wouldn't need as much of it. We're coming right back.
1: Is everybody ready?
0: I'm ready. Ready here. Middays with Gerard Gibbons.
2: We are back in the Element Wealth studio. So, Scott Moorefield writes for townhall.com. He had an interesting tweet yesterday. He says, if uh, Donald Trump wins the GOP nomination and goes on to face Joe Biden or any other Democrat in the general, here's what is likely to happen. He will get fewer votes than he did in 2020. He will get fewer electoral votes than he did in 2020, not picking back up any state he lost and losing somewhere he shouldn't, such as North Carolina. Predicts also the GOP would lose the House. The Senate, which he says should be an easy pickup for the GOP this cycle, if you look at the the map, I would agree, would become a toss-up. If it remains a democratic hands look for another push to eliminate the filibuster with Manchin gone. Cuz it looks like he's going to get beat replaced by former governor of West Virginia Jim Justice who's leading him like by 25 points. If that happens all bets are off. I totally agree. We lose the filibuster in the Senate, all bets are off. One of the first things you'd see? Abortion. That would be top. Voting Federalization of voting, uh, of elections, and abortion would become legalized abortion to some extent. The law of the land it would be codified. The other concern, of course, is statehood for D.C. Democrats will go on their prosecutions ensuring Trump is in prison by the end of 25. The administrate's administrative state will continue unabated. Democrats may also get to pick replacements for Clarence Thomas and Samuel Alito. Many think they're close to retirement. With a 5-4 SCOTUS majority, leftists will redefine the meaning of every freedom you hold dear. Of course, he says, door number two would mean nominating someone who can actually win the general. Now, what we've discussed here on the program is just how dangerously close we are to all hell breaking loose, and by that I mean it's only because of Joe Manchin and sometimes Kirsten Cinema who've stood in the way, because if they got on board with the rest of the senators in their party, the Democrat Party, now she's an independent now, he's still a Democrat, but if they... Uh, join them, we would have lost the filibuster. And just like he's saying here, Scott Morfield from Town Hall, all hell would break loose. Interesting analysis. Of course, that's his view that Donald Trump would cause voters to, um, I guess, vote according to his analysis in the Senate and in the House. That's interesting. Very interesting. I do agree that he, he would he stray, would, it depends on who the Democrat candidate is. At this point, I think Gavin Newsom is just licking his chops, he's waiting in the wings. I think he's celebrating every time there's some Joe Biden faux pas. You guys may have seen that he's uh, crossed the pond there meeting with our NATO allies and Stiffed him on dinner last night. You see that? Like he's... I don't think he's got the stamina for it. How could you go all the way to Europe and not go to dinner with your your allies and the, the whole idea here is to, to keep the planet in one piece? Incredible. And... I am pleased to see that thus far Biden opposes allowing Ukraine to join NATO, because that would immediately thrust us in a war with Russia. And that would be bad for us and the planet. But I honestly, when I, when I heard that he's not going to dinner, I said, what? How do you go that far and diss these leaders of these other countries? Like that. And I don't think it's because he doesn't want to have dinner with him. I think it's because he can't. Just from an energy perspective. But the left doesn't want to discuss that.
1: Won't talk about it. Well, they also don't want to talk about the political albatross hanging around their neck named Kamala. Because if they do manage to convince the Democrat Party that Biden is not their best choice, then... Tradition would dictate his VP would be the choice. Right. And in the era of wokeness, the first black and first female vice president would be an excellent choice for a run at the presidency. Unbelievable. But deep down, they know that would be a disaster. So they have to tiptoe around it because they don't want to alienate the woman vote Or the African-American vote by not giving her a chance. Yeah.
2: And that's the bridge they're going to have to cross, honestly. And she's been out making more word salad. She did something crazy yesterday. I caught just a glimpse of it. It was just another nonsensical statement. Something about in-the-moment crap, something like that. It's disturbing. Unburdened by what has been. That's what it is, yeah. Whatever the hell that means. (laughs) CJ in the Delta says, I'm having a total knee replacement August 1st, outpatient. Be home that afternoon, unthinkable 10 years ago. So many examples of ambulatory surgery, outpatient surgery like that, and it's an excellent point. That is a function of advances in medical science, no doubt about it. And stuff like that, he says, unthinkable 10 years ago, well, imagine 60 years ago. I don't know that there was anything any such thing as outpatient surgery back then. Almost everything was rather morbid that they were going to cut you wide open. The iron lung was still a viable treatment in 1960. Well, that's true. How does Manchin losing to a Republican uh hurt the Republicans? Well, it's it's a good point, but he kind of held the uh the Democrats at bay and you would think that they would uh, be in the same boat if a if a um, if mansion loses but so here's the problem is that then you would have democrats replacing republicans in other states and you wouldn't have a and they would have control that's the theory here by mister Morfield control of the senate and not have a democrat that would go against them, that would dissent with them on the filibuster. So it's not that it's an even trade between him as far as opposing the filibuster and a Republican and Jim Justice. It's that you're now looking at a different makeup in the Senate where the the control is in the Democrats' hands, but they don't have a reasonable Democrat that will say no to the filibuster. That's the point we're trying to make here. So... Uh, Somebody said something to me, a ridiculous argument you were making about the church. You know it is the individual's responsibility to ask the church for help. It is? So churches don't engage in proactive charitable acts and so forth? Only reactive? My church is proactive in that respect, so I, I wasn't aware of that. If you want help from a church, you just have to ask Interesting. They don't. They don't support various charitable causes without the asking. I think he's
1: talking about paying medical bills.
2: Okay, but you could you could certainly institutionalize that. That's the point I'm making. Churches could institutionalize that as a hey, we're going to create a charity, a fund. I don't know some um, some resource that helps cover medical costs for those who can't afford it, who can't pay them. I'm just simply making the point that it's an $8 billion, $7 billion price tag, I should say.
1: Compared to what Ron Paul was saying in the 60s, where a church could pick up an average yearly tab of $147, they can't pick up the tab for a colonoscopy, let alone an entire year's worth of health care for an individual. Correct.
2: Right. And the colonoscopy, again, is a preventative measure that protects against much more expensive medical problems, health problems. So I, I guess what I'm saying is I don't think it's practical to just lay at the feet the, to the faith community a $750 billion annual expense. And that's at Medicaid rates. I, I don't think that and in the state of Mississippi with 840000 I'm familiar with MediShare, by the way. That's still not the same. You still have to pay into that. So, I'm And I do know that they will help you with that. But that's you're talking about a different program than taking 840,000 Mississippians and just saying, here, churches, take care of them. I just don't think it's going to happen. It's not practical. I guess I'd ask, why aren't they doing that today? Why aren't our state leaders going to the church and say, look, we want to get out of Medicaid. We need you to pick up the tab. We're coming right back. In the Element Well Studio.
0: It's so awesome! Middays with Gerard Gibbard. Mm. Come on, let's get on with the show! Yes. On Super Talk, Mississippi.
4: this time been a long time
3: coming been a long hard time
2: Welcome back everyone middays super talk Mississippi we're at the Palmer home tomorrow the Palmer Home radiothon kicks off at 6 a.m goes to 6 p.m and less we got people and we hope so still wanting to contribute uh, to the cause of the Palmer Home who takes care of children in unimaginable circumstances. Uh, Mose, pardon me, this is Sam from Mount Hermon, says, Gerard, how would you make sure that the churches used all those funds for the intended purposes? That could lead to misappropriations for use for anything that the churches wanted to do. Well, Sam, they got that problem with any charitable causes. I mean, any entity, any individual has that, that's just incumbent upon you to to vet that and analyze that, but, he, but that's not even... Because
1: to legally be a charity, you only have to give up
2: 10% of donations for the charitable cause. That's right. That's right. To be considered that uh, and be exempt from taxes and so forth. Uh, but, Sam, I, I think the, the key point I'm trying to make here is that I don't think it's practical, it's not viable, it's not feasible to just j- dump an $8 billion, $7.5 billion expense on the churches in Mississippi. That's not practical. I don't know that it is to dump a $750 billion, almost $800 billion annual expense on the faith community in the country. That's a bunch of money. Now, I've thought about how to address this issue. There's no doubt that we have people in the state Let's just talk about Medicaid in general, what it covers now. If you're blind or you're disabled, you're limited, honestly, on your income producing potential. That's what the program is designed for. If you're aged, you're elderly, you're past your work, maybe you only have one income source, that's Social Security. Fifteen hundred bucks a month. You're in a nursing home, you're infirmed. That's expensive. How does that get paid for? That's what Medicaid covers. You're a child. You're just brought into this world. You're living in a home, and the household income of that home is less than $30,000 a year. You qualify as a child for Medicaid. By the way, the parents, if they're working, their able-bodied or parent would not. That's what expansion would cover. Uh, provided their income is below 150% of the federal poverty level, and for an individual, that's about $19,000. For a household of two, that's about $25,000, $26,000. It's not a lot of money. So we have a lot of people, unfortunately, in the state whose income's in those ranges. Well, if you've priced health insurance out lately, you know that's pretty dang expensive. We also are a state that doesn't have a lot of large Companies. We have a lot of small businesses and um sole proprietorships, so to speak. They uh 1099 type workers, they've got to buy insurance in the individual market. They don't have group insurance from their employer available. Most small businesses, the law requires businesses to offer health insurance if they have more than 50 employees. Think about all the companies we have that have fewer than 50. They don't offer health insurance. Some do, but they don't. And then, if you've got more than 50, you've got to not only offer it, but it has to be so-called affordable, and there's a calculation for that. It's just expensive is the only point I'm trying to make. And i I, I simply trying to convey that I don't think that's a solution. What I would have proposed before, I'd like to see is, as a private employer, in my employer days, I would be willing to cover some truly needy, say, able-bodied adults in lieu of Medicaid expansion. There's some 200,000, depending on whose figures you look, look at, in the state of Mississippi who would qualify for coverage under Medicaid if the state expanded Medicaid, and that simply means that able-bodied adults whose income is below, on an individual basis, $19,000 a year would qualify. I'd be willing to add those to my group insurance and totally pay for the cost if the government would give me just uh, some reasonable tax deduction or credit for that. But the other thing, of course, is that because they wouldn't be under my employ, the insurer would have to agree to allow someone who's not employed by me to be on my rolls. It's just a, a way to try to get people coverage that truly are in need of it, that truly can't afford it on their own. And maybe there's some small token amount they pay towards it, just to have some skin in the game. It's just an idea. If you think about the 25, 30 million people in this country without coverage, you don't think we could figure out a way to plug them in to these private sector organizations that have nice group coverage? Most people listening to me probably have those themselves. Plug them in, add them to the roles, take them off the government roles, and get them superior coverage, frankly. We're coming right back with our friend Brian Haydad and Robbie Fox. Stay with us. Mississippi
0: 97.3. And now, and now the talk that keeps Mississippi talking. That's what I like to listen to. You're listening to Middays with Gerard Gibbert. Here on Super Talk, Mississippi.
2: Welcome back, everyone. It's the afternoon portion of midday Super Talk Mississippi. We are live in the Element Well studio on this. Hump day. And joining us now is Brian Haydad, a co host of Sports Talk Mississippi and, of course, the Thunder and Lightning podcast, and Robbie Falk, co host Thunder and Lightning. Gentlemen, good to see you out there. What in the world is going on?
5: It's raining outside, I
2: think. Other than that, I don't. I don't really know. Oh, okay. Well, it's that time of year. We were just talking about that. Those uh, those rain showers are moving through the area almost on a daily basis. Set your clock to them, I guess, as they say. It's Mississippi. It's the middle Absolutely. of the summer. So I just got to ask you, Brian, before we start talking about the catfish tour, am I still mm-hmm. your favorite
5: Ole Miss fan? Absolutely, number one on my list, <laughs> Gerard Gibbert. He is number one on the Rebel, my favorite Rebel list. Please tell our audience why I have earned that distinction. I'm going to tell you why, Gerard, and okay. people may, may scoff. Okay. It's because you treat me with respect. Of course. Okay. And I feel like when we talk, we are equals. Unlike that scalawag Richard Cross (laughs) who refuses to promote my show on a weekly basis because he's jealous. (laughs) Oh man. Well I tell you what, I'm feeling pretty good. Real quick, Gerard, have you have you seen what I've got going on for Richard tomorrow? No. Hold on one second. Robbie Robbie, keep me talking here. (laughs) What's happening, Robbie? Yeah. So I'm doing great. Brian
4: and Richard made a deal. Okay that State and Ole Miss faced off for the year, whoever won the most games has to wear the other team's gear. Richard will be wearing Mississippi State uniforms on the telephone. I've got him a
5: football, basketball, and baseball jersey. It's going to be like the Oscars. It's going to change every hour.
2: Aren't you glad you didn't make a bet with me, Gerard? Absolutely. <laughs> well, I can't wait to witness this. I got to tell you. you oh, it's gonna be fun. Yeah, it should right. be fun. We're looking forward to uh, the Palmer Home Radiothon, six to yes, six at a minimum. You guys will be there. We're going to be there as well. Uh, Richard, of course, he got double duty tomorrow. I believe, I, right? That was. I, I wish I
5: could be there at five a.m. to hand him these jerseys, but you got to wear them on Gallo too. But that's just too early for
2: me to get to Hernando. <laughs> Oh, that's awesome. I have to leave now. Well, congratulations on the podcast. You guys do an excellent job. And uh, I hear some positive feedback from my uh, my numerous Mississippi State friends as well. And as I do on Sports Talk um, as well. So uh, they don't listen to me, they listen to you for what it's worth. (laughs) (laughs)
5: Nobody nobody wants to hear about politics, man. It's so depressing.
2: (laughs) Oh, there's something to be said for that, for sure. You guys uh, have a lot more fun. Speaking of fun, what about the catfish tour?
5: The brainchild of Robbie Falk. I'm (laughs) going to let him talk for a second because he's really the guy who sort of spoke this into existence.
4: Well, I love fried catfish, and we were talking on the show one day just about how cool it was to have all these little catfish barns and catfish houses all across the state. When I grew up, we had the catfish barn in Louisville. Yeah, and that was one of my favorite stops on Fridays, Saturday nights, to go get a buffet of fried catfish, fries, hush puppies, stuff like that. And I love that. I love fish, fries, all that. So we talked about what what it'd be pretty cool during the down months if we just went to some catfish houses around the state. You know, real hole in the wall type places. Yeah. And um, you know, we have a a, a friend, Robbie Koblitz who uh, has some great businesses in Startville. He has the broadcast media group. Um, he's actually producing our uh, all of our content for this tour. and he had a relationship with the good people at Superior Catfish. and we were able to go over there to make in and see their plant, see how everything, how uh, the fish is made to so to speak, and how they produce. and just some great folks over there, humble people, they come from humble beginnings and um we we just thought it was it was a great deal so last few weeks we've been going out to a lot of places around the state that offer us superior catfish and we are having an absolute blast seeing these places meeting people eating some great catfish it's just been outstanding, and it's been great to build this relationship with Superior Catfish as well, and we hope that relationship
2: continues with uh, with Super Tall Mississippi. Now you made me hungry there, Robbie. I just wanted you to know that <laughs> I start talking about fried catfish and fries, and I like have this vision in my head of that, uh, ready yeah. to scarf some up. I mean, it's a Mississippi delicacy, is it not?
5: It yeah, is. Yeah, absolutely. It is. It, 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 when you think about Mississippi food, fried catfish is going to be Real early in the conversation for you, and there's so many great Mississippi companies, but we think Superior, as the name kind of implies, yeah. is is the best among them. You know, and I've I've had them all, and we have really enjoyed going getting to go around the state, uh, all these different restaurants who who they have started doing this thing, Gerard, where we show up, they're like, now here's the fried catfish, but we made this for you too. And so we get to try some other dishes as well. We had we were at Lake Tiyacata and we had all oh, blackened catfish over cheese grits wow. with a Creole sauce. I was just I mean it was incredible. Yeah. So and uh, we're looking forward this weekend. We're, we got a buffet on our hands. We're going to the the famous Seafood Junction in Algoma, Mississippi, which I learned it was a town in Mississippi. <laughs> Never heard about of it. three weeks ago when when they told me that we were going to go there. What direction so is people that? People will say. Where is it? It's it? it's just it's it's just north of Pontiac. Okay, Gotcha. So people tell us that the line out the door on a Saturday night at this place huh. is long. I mean, starting at like five o'clock, it's 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 like trying to get a, a table at a hot nightclub or something just to get some great seafood. So we're really looking forward to being there.
2: Okay, so I got to ask you, have you been to uh, Taylor Grocery? Yeah. Or do you break down hives no, when you get in the area into in Lafayette County? <laughs> right. How's oh no, 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 no. We will we will go to Taylor Grocery <laughs> I, I all day.
5: Yeah, I, saying, I don't know that Taylor is the superior seller. Okay but I got you. we talked about that. We talked about that we had a couple of options in in the Oxford area and I yeah. was just like Do we really want to bring a Mississippi State podcast (laughs) to a restaurant in Oxford? We're gonna get everybody gets thrown out. Even the restaurant people are gonna get thrown out. Now, if they'll have us, I'll go to Taylor Grocery whenever you want to. Yeah. It's awesome. I love Taylor Grocery. Yeah, Yeah. you tell Lynn to fry us up some catfish, we'll come eat it for sure.
4: (laughs) Anything Lynn anything Lynn cooks, I'll eat. That is awesome.
5: I'm on board with that.
2: So that's gotta be a lot of fun. And I you know, I see the ads here in the studio on the TV uh, for the tour. That features you guys uh, going around uh, conducting the podcast, and eating catfish. That just looks like a whole lot of fun. Yeah. It's a,
5: it's a great time. We've really really enjoyed it. We got to meet a lot of great people uh, across the state, uh, and we a lot of our our listeners have come in and said hello to us, which we've we've enjoyed that. And I'll just go and tell you, you know, while well, we've got this moment here, if any, if the Mississippi Beef Council or anybody else wants to sponsor anything, steaks or fried chicken or whatever, Robbie and I are willing <laughs> to travel. To eat your food. We will do a steakhouse tour of Mississippi. Yeah, burgers, whatever.
2: I love it. You might need a third wheel. uh, I
5: was going to say, if we're going to do steakhouses, we're going to get white tablecloth and get all fancy. We
2: need Gerard to come with us. (laughs) That is so awesome. You know, the catfish industry, a lot of people don't know, is a huge industry in the state of Mississippi. And we have tens of thousands of acres underwater in the form of Mm -hmm. uh, catfish farms.
5: Yes. And, and that's one of the things we like about Superior is that it's, it's a Mississippi company and it's, it's farmer owned. You know, the, the, the farmers are kind of the, the collective that owns the company. So that's real, that's a really cool, uh, little twist on things for them. But yeah, I mean, catfish isn't just something we eat here in Mississippi. It's, it is, like you said, Gerard, a huge part of our, our industry, our agribusiness here in the state. Look at me getting fancy with the terminology (laughs) here, by the way. Agribusiness is what I'm talking about. So, you know, it's good to see. You know, you want to see all our farmers succeed, and, and I'm I'm more than happy to help them in my own little way. And, and if you talk
4: to the people that are in the industry, too, I mean, it really is something that they've been doing for years and years. Yeah, they love it. It's a real passion. Uh, Brent and Fred Johnson, who we know at Superior Catfish, they grew up raising catfish. Okay. Uh, Pamela McKeel Jones, her family was, was catfish farmers and worked in the industry, and she wanted to get into the business as well. So it, that, it's really special to them and that's what makes it special to us. And I think that's, it's, you know, it's across
2: the board in Mississippi and the catfish is important to a lot of people here. Yeah, I absolutely agree. So, um, a little bit of a side note, not too long after I started my business in 1986, I actually implemented uh, accounting and processing systems for uh, some of the catfish processors in the delta. So well, there you go. Uh, I'm fairly familiar. They with need to the, send you a card with the process with that there. says "free catfish" wherever you go. <laughs> this is a long time <laughs> ago. just take care of you. Uh, but I've been through those processing factories. It's uh, it's pretty fascinating to watch that. And you know, as yeah. you know, it comes in as raw product and it goes out in mm-hmm. numerous forms that they ship. Yeah. Uh, to grocery stores and restaurants and so forth. It's incredible operation.
5: The, my fa- my favorite part of our tour of the Superior plant was Robbie wearing shorts in a room that was negative ten degrees.
2: They <laughs> <laughs> well, got these well, giant it was cold, coolers, man. cold storage in those. Yeah.
5: And he's just wearing shorts and in, in, in there. I'm just like, good call, man. I wore jeans that day. I was a little smarter, right?
2: Well, that sounds like a lot of fun. We appreciate you guys coming on Middays and giving us an update. Uh, we'll be at the Palmer Home tomorrow. And then I'm headed, speaking of politics, to the Shoba County Fair. You need to come meet me for that, Brian. We'll do some politics over there in a couple of weeks. But me
5: and you need to speak together is what I would say. There we'll we... get this state running in the right direction. I love the it. The
2: Gibbert Haydad ticket is one to watch. I love it. That's awesome. I'm there. Appreciate it, guys. Y'all take care. See you soon. See you tomorrow, Thank you, sir. Thank appreciate you. Yep, you got it. We're coming right back in the Element Well Studio.
0: Check it out. Let's do that. The talk that keeps Mississippi talking. Middays with Gerard Gibbert. Let's get on with it. On Super Talk Mississippi.
2: Welcome back, everyone. It's midday. Super Talk Mississippi. Gerard and Rhino in the Element Wealth studio. Mo says... My favorite catfish recipe is fried fillets over grits with andouille sausage. Now, I'm really hungry. That does sound pretty dang good there. Also, uh, somebody else said, Jim from Ripley, Seafood Junction is south of Pontotoc, just off Highway 15. I was there last Saturday, and you are correct. You can't believe how many people they will put through there. One warning, you will eat too much.
1: Yeah, Heydad said it was north of Pontotoc. It's actually south of Pontotoc. Uh-huh. You go to Pontotoc. From Tupelo and take a left.
2: Okay. Algoma, right? So oh, yeah. Of the town. Interesting. Right over the little railroad tracks. Very cool. Let's see. Moe's also weighed in on our discussion related to uh, health care. Says, just look at the total uncompensated care the hospitals have now. All of the churches in the state could not cover that bill. Yeah, that's what we're talking about, Moe's. And that's, uh, I said the current Medicaid program. What you would be talking about are people that would uh, either qualify for Medicaid if we expanded or would, that or currently have no insurance, and, and therefore any medical care they receive, they either pay out of their pocket or they don't pay at all. Or you also have a number of people that have private coverage. I've been hearing this, Rhino, from healthcare professionals, that uh, just basically stiff the providers in the hospitals on um, their responsibility. As you know, you have co-pays and deductibles, co-insurance, and they uh, they just don't pay. You know, they chase them down with collections, agents, and and so forth, and you just don't get anything out of them. And it gets to the point where it uh, costs more to chase it than it does to collect it. And the consequences to the, uh, the debtor is that it ends up on their credit report, for what that's worth as a collection. And that could cause you problems, but if you're not applying for credit, you probably don't even know, honestly, and don't care. But that's about the only tool they have, is to flag your credit report, report it as a collection, what's called a collection. But yeah, your point's well taken. That's the point I've been trying to make, Mose, is that we have a lot of uh, uninsured. We have the highest uninsured population in the state. We have not expanded Medicaid, which tends to um, drive that number north. And we have a lot of, unfortunately, people with low incomes that don't qualify for Medicaid because we don't have expansion, or maybe they're just outside of the uh, the threshold for being eligible for qualifying, or they work and don't earn enough money or don't feel like they do to purchase insurance through their employer, even when their employer offers it, their employee portion of the premium. It's, um, it's expensive. By the way, I saw a report the other day expected that health care premiums will rise, isn't that great news, by 7% next year what the expectation. It's already crazy expensive. In fact, if you think about it, I mean the average individual-only coverage, just a single person, what's that now? Eight, nine hundred bucks a month, I believe. Something like that. And if you think about a person that's earning minimum wage or 150% of the federal poverty level. I use that one because that's the qualification for the subsidized coverage in the exchanges. You're talking about health care insurance costing you about three-quarters of your income. Nobody's going to do that. And we did have uh, a text on the C Spire text line. You probably saw it. Are children covered by says Medicare and other insurance still covered until they are 26 years old, well, first Medicare is for those over 65. Uh, Medicaid uh, is, is coverage that is, is for an individual, not um, a family. Children who qualify for Medicaid live in households that meet the income eligibility test. So that's different. But, yeah, the 26-year-old deal refers to private insurance where a child can stay on their parents' plan until the age of 26. By the way, that was something that was enacted in the Affordable Care Act as federal law. However, several states already had that provision in place at the state level as part of their state uh, insurance regulatory framework. But the federal law went into effect under the Affordable Care Act, so-called Obamacare, and made that a nationwide insurance requirement. And this person says they should have a job and their own insurance by age 23 at the latest. So for what it's worth, that's exactly what Obamacare um, attempted to do which is the individual mandate. You will buy insurance, young person, even though you don't want to spend the money on that, and you may not ever need it, you're going to buy it. That was the whole concept, so-called universal coverage. And by the way, if you don't, you're going to pay a penalty. I know you personally looked at this, right? I mean, you, you compared that. Oh, yeah. And the penalty... Was um, it escalated? I want to say in the first year it was like two hundred fifty dollars. Went to six fifty. You know, it had a, it had a phase in to I don't even know what it is now, like twelve hundred fifty bucks or something like that. Well, the and, mandate was struck And the down. mandate was was uh, repealed under Trump. He said we were going to repeal Obamacare and have quote great health care. But the only really thing they got done was eliminating the mandate.
1: I, um, I was looking at it varies state to state, but in Mississippi. Under Medicaid, yep. I believe that cuts off at 19. It doesn't extend to 23 or 26. The
2: children's coverage group, that is correct. Children are a coverage group under Medicaid. At 19, you're off. That is correct. Then you would become an able-bodied adult, presuming you're not blind or disabled, in which case you would not have access to Medicaid in a state that did not expand. Until you got pregnant, if you're a woman. Yeah, I believe only women, by the way, can get pregnant. You would qualify in that coverage group. Or if you became disabled or became blind, you would qualify in that coverage group. And then when you're over the age of 65, if your income meets the eligibility test, you would qualify in that coverage group. So the, the so-called donut hole, which is what expansion would address, are those who are able-bodied... They're not blind, they're not disabled, they're not 65 or older, which doesn't mean if you're 65 or older, you're not able-bodied, but that's a different coverage group where Medicaid will pay if your income's very low. But that's the whole. That's the 220,000 people in Mississippi that would be covered under Medicaid if we expand it. Uh, Again, I'd like to, my idea about trying to make some, create some program that would allow private organizations to add them to their roles, I sure would like to see somebody take a hard look at that. I do know that those suggestions, when I made those to some people um, who were connected to our Washington delegation seven or eight years ago, they did send that to them. There was no action taken. It probably, honestly, wouldn't be popular If you think about it from the Democrat perspective, my view is it wouldn't be popular because that means that those dirty, greedy, evil, wicked private sector corporations might actually solve a key problem. Can't do that. It's got to be a government solution. I really do think that. And I understand. It would be hairy when you think about the insurers, for example. When you're adding people onto your rolls, you're still paying for it, so it's no skin off their back except for the expense side of it, the claim side of it, but they're not working for you. And so you'd have to figure something out from an insurance regulation perspective, and you'd have to have some way to to vet their eligibility. But you know what? If I'm a private company, it shouldn't matter. I can put anybody the hell I want to on my rolls if the insurer would let me, and I'm paying for it. Where it would get sticky is my suggestion that it also have accompanied uh, with it some sort of small tax credit. Which is another reason
1: the Democrats would be against
2: it. They would hate that. A tax credit for those dirty, evil, rich corporations? Yeah, because we're funding health care for people rather than putting them on the Medicaid rolls. Just an idea. Oh, let's see here. I'm 36, supporting a family of six, making 260 a day, weather permitting, and the only way I could afford insurance is to cut off our power, water, and cut way back on food. So there you go. That, I think, is a... A more typical example than we would care to acknowledge in our state and in our country that you sort of put that at the bottom of the list, and most people know they're taking some degree of risk by not having coverage, but they also understand that under our laws can't be turned away for health care, whether you can pay or not, and that uh, went into effect. Yes, it was going to be four hundred dollars something a month through my work insurance with Aflac. I gotta believe though that would just be for you, right? Not your entire. Yeah, just for me. Just send it in. Yeah, four hundred bucks a month. That's because your employer is covering some of the other portion of it. It's probably more like eight hundred dollars a month total for individual coverage. We are stepping aside for a break. These messages coming your way from the Element Well Studios, and when we return, half an hour left of midday. Stay with us.
3: Everybody ready? I'm ready. ready. Ready here.
0: Middays with Gerard Gibbett on Super Talk Mississippi. How will everybody head about the bird? Bird, bird, bird.
3: bird, bird The win. oh, well, a winner bird.
2: Where'd you come up with that one? It's the Trash Man. Well, I remember the song. What is that? Early 60s? Late '60s. 62. There you go. How about that? <laughs> Tim from Tupelo says, Vantage Insurance is a joke. I haven't heard of that one. No place in Tupelo accepts it. I have to drive to Oxford for appointments. I had an EKG scheduled last Friday. With insurance, they wanted 600 bucks that's enough to get your blood pressure boiling. I told them where they could stick that 600. So curious, Tim, did you go ahead and and undergo the EKG test, or did you just did you walk out? Just curious. You don't have to tell us if you don't want to. But I'm not familiar with that particular coverage, but it's not surprising given that I'm not familiar with it that you don't have a local provider that accepts it. I'm actually surprised you found one in Oxford. Is that I don't think it is. One sold in the ACA exchanges? I don't think so. Um, I thought we only had a couple of carriers that sold in the Obamacare marketplaces in Mississippi. Magnolia Health, I think, was one of them, as I recall. And I don't remember the other. But, the, you know, the big problem, of course, is and these carriers, or pardon me, the providers, they want not more insurance companies to deal with. They want fewer. It just makes their life easier. They don't want to chase them. They want to get sort of comfortable with one. They know them. They know each other. They file claims. They pay them. And it's... Uh, it's, I think, a ruse to say, you've heard, they heard this all the time, well, we just allow insurance companies to sell across state lines, and that would fix everything. It, it wouldn't, and that's been tried, and there's nothing preventing that now. I mean, a, an insurer can sell insurance in Mississippi, provided they meet the requirements as prescribed by the Department of Insurance and the regulations that they have promulgated. I mean, there's nothing special. The hard part is... Why would an insurer want to come into a state that honestly has a sick population? That's one thing. And secondly, establishing a network, right? So, Tim, to your point, that physician or physicians in the Tupelo area that aren't in Vantage's network means that you would have to pay out-of-pocket and then file... Your claim on the insurance, and wait. Most people, of course, want to go to the doctor and hand them their insurance card if they're insured, and not have to pay anything but maybe a copay before they leave. Just depending on the nature of the services rendered and the and the agreement with the provider for the services. And so that requires establishing a network, and that means you got to. You gotta persuade the doctors to take your coverage, and you don't get. It's a chicken and egg. You don't get sort of cooperation there until you have a reasonable size of subscribers, because it's not worth it for them to go through all the hassles to do that. And this is where there's a, been a been a lot of discussion, a lot of buzz about moving the so-called single payer. He says, by the way, nope, he canceled it. He didn't pay the $600. Well, I hate to hear that, Tim, if it's going to have a negative impact on your health, uh, my friend. So if it's something that you need to complete uh, for health purposes, I hope you figure something out in that respect. And it is a nightmare. Yeah, I get it. So I'm just curious as to why you wouldn't purchase insurance that has a, a greater network, which honestly... It's probably top of the list of importance when you're buying private coverage is who takes this coverage so I don't have to pay out of pocket other than a copay when uh, for the visit for the services and in Mississippi, which is the case in most states, there's typically one dominant carrier. Here it's Blue Cross Blue Shield. United Healthcares made significant inroads in the state of Mississippi. And then you've got large companies that are headquartered outside of Mississippi that have employees inside of Mississippi th- who are covered by whomever their carrier is in that headquarters state. But Blue Cross actually acts as what's called a TPA, third-party administrator for many of those other carriers for the services and the network inside the state of Mississippi it's just it's brutally convoluted and the way and the reason it is is because there are multiple parties in the transaction that's what makes it difficult it's not a typical transaction is healthcare that just involves two parties the buyer and the seller this has got a third party injected in it sometimes multiple third parties and That just complicates the heck out of the whole deal. Yeah, he says I shot for coverage two years ago. They made all these promises about coverage that didn't pan out. Says Tim from Tupelo. Yeah, I I can see that. But I just wonder if that six hundred
1: dollars is coming from a deductible.
2: Could be a deductible and not a copay, yeah. So that's the other part. But it depends on, again, the services. You know, some some services, you just have a copay, doesn't go against your deductible. Some, it's both. Some, it's one and not the other. Just it, That's where it gets complicated. So when you start, you know this, when you start reading the the basic tenets of the plan, even employer group insurance, it'll hurt your head, honestly, trying to understand all that. Um, deductibles, the copays, the coinsurance, and all that sort of stuff, and... Uh, t- typically, the way that works is you got a deductible up to a certain amount, and you got a, you're responsible for that amount for the services, except certain wellness services, right, which are covered, except for a copay. You may not have a copay on that, and then once you hit the deductible threshold, then you'll have a situation where you you'll enter into a coinsurance situation. Typically, that's eighty percent paid by the insurer, twenty percent paid. By the patient, and then you'll hit the threshold on that in a year, and then it's a hundred percent paid by the insurer. That's a that's a typical sort of progression, but it's it's complicated. And honestly, the average person just no way they understand all this. And gosh, if you call for help, it's still hard to understand. Not that the folks aren't helpful and willing to assist you, but just crazy. Um. So there was something else. Yeah, Thomas and Greenwood. So it says, it's right for the government to force me to cover him. Thomas, you do have insurance. I think you told me that one time. Remember I asked him? You do realize that your premiums are covering care for other people. But you seem to be okay with that. Is there? Is that because that's private sector situation? Or, I, I don't know. But that... I mean, insurance is a concept built around this pooling. That's that's sort of the miracle of insurance. Is that a bunch of people pool their money into a big pot, and it pays out people who are irresponsible. I mean, I could say that I have automobile insurance, and when I see a wreck on the side of the road, I'm paying for that, essentially. Now, I have the privilege of also receiving reimbursement from my insurer is should I be involved in an accident. Uh, it's, it's a risk mitigator. The same is true with health insurance. But, but the bigger question is, okay then, how do we handle these people that don't make enough money to pay their own uh, for their own health insurance? We just had a, a, a listener. Tim says, yeah, showed up and had a $600 you're probably right. That probably wasn't co-insurance. That's was probably deductible. Hadn't met it for the year yet, whatever is deductible is. And there are limits on that under Obamacare on how high deductibles can be. It's actually full out-of-pocket costs. I want to say that's up to like 8000 bucks a year or something like that, if I'm not mistaken, for an individual, which means co-pays, co-insurance, deductibles, the, the out-of-pocket costs to the, to the patient. Um, but yeah, you can't afford it. Well, what do you do? What what if you know somebody had a more serious problem? How how do we handle that? What's society's answer to that? Federal law says I talked about this yesterday. You go to the emergency room and you got to stabilize them, whether they can pay or not. That's under the MTA law, a Ronald Reagan idea. Shouldn't say it was his idea. He signed off on it. He supported it. That wouldn't fly, I would argue, in conservative circles today. And I submit that most people, Rhino, don't know. That was a Ronald Reagan invention. Just like they don't know that the so-called Obama phones are really Reagan phones. That's where that came from. 1984, 1985. Passed while he was president. That's. These are the kinds of things I don't think a lot of people are aware of and that's fine if they're not. I mean, you'd, you'd have to spend a little time digging through all that. The Telecommunications Act of 1996 changed a lot of that stuff up as well. That was under Bill Clinton and fully supported by uh, Republicans. Yeah, no, there's not a difference. You're still paying for somebody else's. You said that the government forced you, Thomas, but it's still the same concept. We're coming right back.
0: So awesome! Middays with Gerard Gibbard. Come on, let's get on with the show! Yes. On Super Talk, Mississippi.
2: Final segment, Midday Super Talk Mississippi. Once again, we're going to be at the Palmer Home for Children tomorrow. Looking forward to that. Got to get up early and head up there. Going to be an all-day affair with a radiothon. Going to be something. Jerry and Waynesboro watching FBI director before Congress, but the Democrats keep changing the narrative towards MAGA and classifying all Republicans as domestic terrorists. Yeah, you kind of thought that was happening. I believe Christopher Ray is there on behalf of the FBI to defend the FBI, which has been under much scrutiny and criticism from Republicans. We'll see. Uh, let's see. I'm not sure what the solution is on the ceasefire text line, talking about uh, being, uh, let's see, eligible to stay on your parents' insurance up until age 26. Yeah, it wouldn't apply to Medicaid. Sorry, I meant to say Medicaid, but it wouldn't apply. There's there's a coverage group for children, but they wouldn't be on their parents' insurance. They would just be eligible for Medicaid until, as Rhino said, 19 is the cutoff date under the under the coverage group uh, for children sponsored by Medicaid. The reason I brought this up in the first place is because I can remember several years ago I had a patient, I'm a nurse, and he was on his parents' insurance, which was Medicaid. No, nope, not possible. Maybe it changed since then. Nope, hadn't. Or maybe it was private insurance. Yep, probably was. It should I'm just responding there, folks. It should seem kind of crazy that you can drive at sixteen, join the Army at eighteen, drink alcohol at twenty one, yet you, you can stay on your parents' insurance until twenty six. Another instance of diminishing the incentive to get a good education, good job, and be prosperous. Wow, we could we could take that much further than that. Just so you'll know now, you pay for that. You look at the categories of private insurance, there's the individual, there's individual and spouse, there's individual and family, individual and spouse and family. So there's multiple categories, and each one of those has a different price tag because they're covering more people. So it's not like that it's a giveaway, it's not like it's free, it's not like the government's paying for it, Uh, the parents typically are paying for it. And usually for a
1: child, or at this point, somebody in their early 20s, to stay on their parents' insurance, they still have to be a dependent that's right. filed on their
2: parents' taxes. That's right. Um, but and Which means they're in the household, typically. There's some other tests of that as well. I, I'm all about it. Yeah, get a good education, get a good job, be prosperous. Well, heck, that's the fundamental problem uh, in the country right now is we've got a lot of people who are on the sidelines, even a lot of young people, and just the cost of living is, is exceeds what they're able to earn, what their earning power is. Even if you have an education, which is something we've talked about considerably. you spent a lot of money and gone into debt to get some worthless degree, and now you're wondering why you can't make ends meet. Because you can't get a job that pays more than 30, 40 grand a year, and you got $100,000 of student debt. So you lap that on to got to have some housing, food, transportation, energy, and then you lump onto that $800 a month of insurance, $10,000 a year of insurance. And that's not counting out of pocket co pays, deductibles, and co insurance, which can go up to $8,000. So I, I, I think we have to at least be honest about. What truly is affordable? I know Thomas says, yeah, they can afford cars and this and that and the other, but Thomas' fact is there are 220,000 people in the state of Mississippi whose income is below $19,000 a year. So that doesn't leave a whole lot of money for a a whole lot of anything. And it's also got to consider that they may not tip the scales from an income tax perspective, but they are paying for Social Security and Medicare,
1: Well, the the circular logic problem that Thomas is having is he's talking about, well, if they can afford a car note, maybe they shouldn't be able to have socialized medicine, his words, if they have a car note. But in order to enforce that, you'd have to allow the government to have oversight of every dollar you spend to make sure you're not spending more than you can afford so you can afford socialized medicine. That's, That's true. That's absolutely true. So do you want the government to know what your car note is, what your rent is, break down all your monthly bills for you.
2: Seems like government overreach to me. I think there's more people than you than don't than you think that don't have any transportation that uh, bunk up with a lot of people. And that, that's all fine. I mean, that's all consistent with their income. So they place that kind of on the bottom of the list. I, I get it, but it's expensive. It just is, and it's, you know two-thirds of your disposable income, three-quarters, going to health care insurance. Most people are just going to say, no, I'm not going to do that. And again, that's not counting the possible $8,000 a year of deductible co-insurance and co-pay out-of-pocket costs. It's not socialized medicine, Thomas. You keep saying that, man. It's not socialized medicine. You tell people you're against Medicare and Social Security, right? Tell them that, Thomas. We're coming back tomorrow at the Palmer Home for Children. Until then, stay safe and God bless everyone.